Find in your Bible with me this morning the New Testament book of Romans in chapter 5 and hold your place there for a moment. Romans chapter 5, find that in your Bible or on your device or whatever you like to use for the Word of God. Just open that up and hold your place at Romans chapter 5. I do want to mention to you uh, next Sunday morning uh, we'll, beginning, we'll be beginning a new message series called Faces in the Crowd. Uh, God willing, that series will take us past Easter, even to Mother's Day. As we'll look into the Gospel of Luke, and we'll see how Jesus encountered individuals and treated them as individuals, even in a crowd, even in a place where people were pressing in. He saw the needs of individuals. He called them out of the crowd and met those needs. And you're going to find that those people are a whole lot like us, and we are a whole lot like them, even though we are separated by centuries, uh, and that God can meet your needs and meet you in the crowd just as well. We'll start that next week, then I won't be with you on the 27th. Pastor Mike will be preaching, bringing the Word of God on the 27th. I know you'll be blessed by that. And then in March, we'll return to the Faces in the Crowd series. Tomorrow, of course, as we've all already been talking about, is Valentine's Day. So this would be Valentine's Day Eve, right? I just made that up. You can put that on your calendars next year, Valentine's Day Eve. Uh, and to be honest, though, uh, to be honest, though not, everyone not everyone gets excited about Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day is unique Day among is unique. holidays, if you want to call it a holiday. You don't get the day off work, but still, it's a recognizable holiday on our calendar. And it's a little bit unique in that it's not neutral. It's based on feelings. It's based on romantic feelings. And for that reason, some people anticipate Valentine's Day. Other people dread Valentine's Day. Some people get excited and enjoy Valentine's Day. Other people, frankly, would rather not, rather just not happen. Because it's associated with feelings and with, with love as a romantic feeling in particular. And that ebbs and flows and changes. It's based on relationships. And sometimes relationships come and go as well. So on any given Valentine's Day, you might feel differently than you did at the last Valentine's Day. Uh, but it's, it's unique in that respect. Let me, let me, here's what I mean. For example, Christmas. Christmas, uh, Christian recognition, a Christian holiday based in the Christian faith. Even people who don't believe in the birth of Christ give gifts at Christmas. It's pretty much a focused event. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It's on the calendar. You participate or you don't. Easter, Easter, a recognition for Christians of the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Even people who don't believe in Jesus take the day off. If they get Easter Monday off, Memorial Day we celebrate uh, because we acknowledge those who have given their lives for their country. Everybody rallies around that. It has nothing to do really with how you feel. It's just a fact that people have given their lives for their country, so we recognize that. Arbor Day, go trees. You recognize that, right? But, but you may not take the day off. It's just kind of a, a neutral day, and it's on the calendar. And we could go on and on, but Valentine's Day is different because it's not neutral. Valentine's Day hinges on how you feel about someone else as to whether you enjoy or dread Valentine's Day. Even so, the Bible teaches us that God's love is greater than how we feel. God's love elevates love to a higher plane, and we should always understand our love in, 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 the, in the light of the way God loves. This is what John meant in 1 John chapter 4 when he said God is love. God loved us first, therefore, John said, we should love one another because God is love. It's his nature. Have you ever thought about this? God doesn't look at you and think, 
Oh, I need to love him. I need to love her. Uh, we do. We look at other people and we think, okay, I need to be sure to love them. I need to be sure to act Christ-like toward them. God doesn't do that. Why? Because God just loves. He doesn't think about it. He just does it. He loves you. And the Bible bears out that God's love is a higher caliber of love. It's the love that defines all other love. It's the eternal love, the unconditional love, the absolute, objective love. And, and it never ebbs, never flows, never wanes. You always know that he loves you that way. And it's expressed in the sacrificial love of God in Jesus Christ. In June of 2019, a young man named Jacob Farley with his wife and his three-year-old son were at a river in Missouri enjoying a day off at the Elk River. And uh, Jacob happened to notice a woman, Madison Katz, struggling in the river and she was going under she had she was near the dam and she was going under under and as a reflex Jacob Farley dove in he jumped in the river and he swam to her and he pulled her up and got her back on her flotation device well they were out away from a city and away from a town so it took 30 minutes for rescue to come but in the meantime Jacob Farley held on to her and she would say later that his hand on my back is what kept me going. And I knew that he was there. He was not going to let go. Uh, when the rescuers got there, they threw her a rope first and they pulled her in. And while they were pulling her in, Jacob went under and he drowned. He gave his life for Madison Capps. And even more remarkable, even more commendable, even more admirable was the fact he never met her before that moment. Had no idea who she was until that day. But she will never forget him. In fact, she wrote later on Facebook to him, personalized it, wrote a note to him, and said in that note, I will never forget your sacrifice for me. God's love is unconditional. It's defined by sacrifice. It never changes, never wanes, never grows old, never grows weary. It's just God's love. And Jacob's sacrifice is an illustration of that love. But we're going to see in a moment that even Jacob's sacrifice and the sacrifices people have for one another, when people give their lives for one another, still does not quite measure up to the sacrificial love of God in Jesus Christ. In just a little while, we'll celebrate this at the Lord's Supper in much the same way that we give cards and valentines to people uh, to express our love on Valentine's Day. Jesus gave us a way to remember his expression of love, the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what we do at the Lord's Supper in just a little while. But before we do that, we want to dive just a little bit deeper into the, what God's love is all about, why it's different, why it's a higher caliber and raises us to a greater plane beyond anything that we experience. Look with me at Romans chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul explaining the love of God to Christians in Rome, Christians whom he has at this point never met before, and starting at verse 6, uh, we're just going to read a snippet of his description. And you'll notice the core of his description is that sometimes people excuse me, would sacrifice themselves for other people who they deem worthy, but God has done something completely different. Look at this with me, Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. Paul writes, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did something that people don't typically do. God did something greater than what people typically do. But God, 
behaved in the way only God behaved. And he expressed, he proved, the term means demonstrated, his own love, his particular love toward human beings by giving his son Jesus on the cross for us. And I want us to break this down for just a minute because I want you to see with me two truths that are embedded in this passage that reflect God's love for us. And before we get to the celebration of the Lord's Supper, I want us to see this because I think we will magnify this. I think it will mean so much more to you as you receive the Lord's Supper this morning to understand these two truths that go along with Paul's teaching. The first one is God loves first. God loves first. This is what John means in 1 John chapter 4. He says, God loves us, so we love one another. God is love. God loves first, meaning God is always proactive. God is always intentional. Did you know that? God is always forward moving. God never reacts, and it's never his, his love and his actions toward you are not accidental. God is always proactive in every respect. This is the staggering thing about verse 8. It says that even when you did not know, when any human being knew, before we ever knew, that we were sinners in need of a Savior, that we were drowning in need of a rescue. Before we even knew that, God was proactive. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that when we did realize we were in need of a Savior, we reached out our hand, we cried out to God, we repented of our sins. What did we find? Everything was taken care of. He was ready to receive us. He was ready to bring us home. God's love is proactive. He acted in advance sent his son in advance of you and I, even knowing, even knowing we would need Jesus. We would need Jesus. He sent his son in advance of, of whether anybody loved him or not. He just he sent his son Christ to die on the cross. Jacob Farley commendably, admirably sacrificed himself for Madison Caps. He reacted. He jumped in the water. He swam to her. He rescued her. But it was a response. It was a reaction. Jacob Farley didn't swim around in the river that day waiting to see if anybody would need a rescue. His response was a reaction. And we call first responders first responders for a reason. These are people in our culture that have it woven into their DNA thickly tied in that they want to be the ones who rescue. They want to be trained to rescue those who need a rescue. But even so, they are responders. They react. There's not a firefighter in this room or probably in this nation, maybe even in the world, who goes around and stands in buildings in case they catch on fire and in case someone might need a rescue and need to turn to them for the rescue. No, they're responders for a reason. They react. They respond. That's human nature. Even the most commendable, admirable, sacrificial human nature is still human nature that responds. Now, we're pro proactive, some of us, in getting ready to respond, like first responders. They get ready. They get prepared. They get trained, and that's good. That's proactive. But even so, the actual rescue is a response. God provided the rescue proactively, before you and I ever needed, or know we needed, a rescue. See the difference? God loves first. He takes action to demonstrate that love. Now if you trusted Christ as your Savior, you look at the cross of Jesus Christ and you realize He did that for me before I ever even knew His name. Before I ever even knew I was a sinner in need of a Savior. The Apostle Paul says not only is he proactive, 
when he loves first. He's strategic when he loves first. God is always strategic as well as proactive for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always strategic. It bears out not only in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ at the perfect time in history. It bears out in your life. If you want to know what God is doing, if you're wondering about decisions in your life, look for God's timing. Look for God's leadership. Look for what God is doing around you and watch his timing. God is always strategic. And believer in Christ, when you're following Christ, God is always strategic in your life as well. It's basic to the way God works and the way God loves. He is proactive. He is strategic, doing all things first, loving first, and strategically working in your life and in mine. God is he's always proactive. God loves first. Let it sink in for a minute. Before you ever knew, you needed a Savior. Right? Christ died on the cross for you. Before you ever could acknowledge him, before you ever stepped in a church for the first time. But let's extend that outside the walls of the First Baptist Church. There are people out there who won't even acknowledge God. They deny Christ. They refuse to believe. They're in need of a Savior. Even before they come to that time in their lives, and God willing, they will come to that time in their lives when they realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior. He has prepared the way for them. When any human being suddenly realizes they're in need of salvation, they turn around, they cry out to God, they repent of their sins, and what they find is He's already taken care of everything. He's just waiting on us, waiting on them to turn around and respond. God loves first. But second, God loves fully. God is not only proactive in his love, God is lavish in his love. God is not stingy in his love. He doesn't look at you and say, well, you're not worthy. You're not deserving of a valentine. You're not deserving of my love. You're you're not worthy. Okay, I might might extend to you some love, but it's not going to be the whole thing because, hey, your life's a mess. We we know that, right? That's not how God works. When God loves, God, God loves fully, and he does it for everyone. Wherever they are on the, on the spectrum of belief, God extends the same grace, the same opportunity for grace in sending his son to the cross for everybody. It's that simple statement in verse 8. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. For everyone, God gave his son. Jesus Christ. Notice something else Jacob Farley didn't do. He didn't need to do it, but what what if he'd been called upon to do it? What if to rescue Madison Capps, Jacob Farley had to give up his three-year-old son? That would give you pause, wouldn't it? You might say, well, no, he wouldn't do that. He shouldn't have to do that. Of course he would say that. But God gave his son for you and for me. And it was his strategy, it was his plan all along. And it was the son's decision to voluntarily submit to the father's son, to the father's plan, and to die on the cross for you. Before you even knew the name Jesus, before you even knew you needed a Savior, Jesus died on the cross for you. God loves fully. God loves lavishly. Now here's the thing about all of verse 8. 
there's no way to read verse 8 and not get that whether we believe it or not, whether the people outside those four walls believe it or not, God believes, God knows we are sinners in need of a Savior. There's no way you can divorce your belief in God from this fundamental fact. Jesus Christ died on the cross because we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be religious enough to save yourself. And, you, and some people think, well, I don't need salvation. I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. Well, compared to God, not so much. And that's your comparison. It's not the person sitting beside you that God's comparing you to. God's comparing you to him, to his holiness. And no, you're not that good. But God said, I want to bridge that gap. So I'm proactively, strategically sending my son to die on the cross to pay for your sins. As Miss Jane put it, everyone has sinned and come short of God's glory. Every human being needs this salvation. But then God said, I'm going to lay the groundwork, get it all ready. It's up to you to turn to Christ as your Savior. God loves first. He loves you so much. He sent his son Christ to die on the cross for you before you even knew that you needed a Savior. And God loves fully. God never looks at you and says, well, he's not worthy of that. I'll love him partway. She's not worthy of that. I might love her a little bit, but not, not all the way. That's not how God works. That's not how God's love works. God loves first, and God loves fully. Even before you turned around and faced God and knew and decided you would trust Christ, decided you would love him back, even before you did that, God had set everything in place to prove this point. He loves you. He loves you. So much so, he sent his son Christ to die on the cross for you, even before you knew, had any idea, you would need a Savior. But so that the moment you realize you need Jesus, you need to be saved, you turn around, you cry out to him, and he grabs you by his grace, pulls you in, cleanses you of sin, and gives you the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. In the hot summer of 2007, Barry Bonds broke Hank Aaron's home run record, hit number 756. A 22-year-old fan, Giants fan, caught the ball. Number 756. As soon as he caught the ball, he was ushered out of the stadium under the protection of the police, knowing that everyone wanted that home run ball. Not long after that, that 22-year-old man uh, put the ball up for auction. And the ball was purchased, ironically, for a little over $750,000 at auction. Then the man that, that bought it at auction uh, put on a website. And he, he asked people to vote on what should be done with Barry Bonds' home run ball, the great breaking the, the record of Hank Aaron. What should be done with the ball? Overwhelmingly, people voted that it should be put into the Baseball Hall of Fame, but before it was, it should be stamped, branded with an asterisk. You know what an asterisk is? 
It's that little star on your keyboard that you almost never use. It's designed to highlight something else, to make you remember something. It's put at the end of a sentence or the start of a paragraph to say, by the way, remember this when you read this. By the way, don't forget about this. By the way, take a look at this. And even prior to Barry Bonds' retirement, people were coming to Giants games and they were holding up placards and posters with, all, with nothing on them but an asterisk because word had already spread, as it so often does in our culture, because of Bonds' controversy with steroid use. The public had turned against him. Fans had turned against him. And they said, many people were saying, he may be one of the greatest players of all time, but remember the asterisk. Never forget that he used steroids to get there. Never forget that he was tainted. Never forget he wasn't worthy to get where he got. Anytime you celebrate him, they held up those posters with an asterisk. Never forget the record is tainted. And that baseball resides today in the Baseball Hall of Fame, branded with an asterisk. Oh, sure, he was great, but never forget. Never forget. When God looks at you, you may think there's an asterisk. Sure, God did this for me, but God, I'm a mess. But God, do you know what I've done? God, do you, but God, do you know what I thought? I've thought this week. But God, do you know what I've said? But God, do you know what I'm going through? But God, do you know, do you know, do you know who I really am? And then we read that passage. But God proves his own love toward you in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. But God overweighs your, but God, every time. The Bible says for believers in Christ that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says a lot about believers and God's joy and celebration when someone comes to faith in Christ. And, and that's one of the images that we get, that when you trust Christ as your Savior, you are recorded by name, in the, in the book of life, owned by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, your name is in there. And guess what? There is no asterisk beside it. There's no asterisk beside your name. It's just you. And, but it's not because you're that good. It's not because you were that great. God knows you and I were not worthy. It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ. When God sees you now, he sees no asterisk. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees the Savior the Lord of all creation, who died on the cross for you, who brought you into the courtroom of God to pardon you from your sins. That's what God sees. Welcome to God's love. Wake up tomorrow and remember, God loves you that much. That much. It doesn't matter how you feel. It's just true. And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, do that today. He died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for you. In just a little while, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that, to trust Christ as your Savior when we're closing the service today. But first, now, we're going to transition into a celebration of what Christ has done for us. Jesus gave us this celebration. It's called the Lord's Supper. It's where he participated with his disciples at the last Passover that he would share with them. And he, at that time, instituted... This remembrance of him, the Lamb of God, who died to save 
the world and save us from our sins. Now, if you're a Christian in here, whether you are a member of First Baptist Church or not, I want to invite you to participate with us. Now, this is a distinctly Christian activity. Jesus told Christians to do this, followers of Christ to do it. So if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior to this point, I'm going to ask you to do the most courageous thing you may have ever had to do in your life. When this, when this uh, plate is passed, our deacons are going to come, they're going to pass these, and you've got the little combination wafer and cup. When that goes by, I'm going to ask you, if, you've, if you know you've never trusted Christ, to just let that go by. And at the end of the hour, I'm going to give you an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then the next time we participate in the Lord's Supper, oh, you'll be ready. And you'll be able to say, yes, I have trusted Christ. I have trusted Christ. I'm going to pray for us, and then our deacons are going to come. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, God, how we thank you so much that, that your love is absolute, that your love is universal, your love is sacrificial, that even before we ever knew or ever thought that we were sinners, you had already sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, and that you're always faithful to forgive us of our sins. When we reach out to you, cry out to you for salvation, you're always there, ready to forgive us of our sins. And God, I pray for those in this room this morning, Father, and those at home who might participate with us in the Lord's Supper today. I pray that we know we're secure in knowing that we've trusted Christ. And Father, if not, I pray we'd have the courage just to let these elements go by, but also to put faith in Jesus at the end of the hour. So God be with us as now we go to this time, a solemn but celebration that we remember what Christ has done for us. And it's in his precious name we pray.
If you've not done this with us before, I want to just walk you through that as well. You'll see you have both the wafer and the juice in one package. Go ahead and peel that top layer off. It exposes just the wafer, and then drop that wafer into your hand. The Bible says on this night, Jesus, before he was arrested, he shared in the final Passover celebration with his apostles. And at, at that moment, at that time, he instituted the Lord's Supper, meaning that the Passover no longer needed to be celebrated as a Passover. Now, what we're doing now acknowledges remembrance of him, his death on the cross, and what he has done for us. And the Bible says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. Then go ahead and take the cup and peel back the next layer as well. Be careful. Then the Bible says Jesus took a cup and after giving thanks he gave it to his disciples and so they all drank from it and he said to them this is my blood that establishes the new covenant. It's shed for many. I assure you I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in a new way in the kingdom of God. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to the cross to remember what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. We come to the Lord's Supper to celebrate what you've done for us in Christ and to remember that three days later you raised him from the grave and he's alive today. God, we thank you and we praise you for the love that you've shown us, your love we can hardly express that you've shown us in Christ. And I believe, God, here in this room and at home, there are those, Father, that are yearning for that kind of love, that realize today, today's the day they need to trust Christ as their Savior. So, Father, I pray for those that need to trust Jesus Christ, that they would pray this prayer with me. They pray a prayer to put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I cannot save myself. I've tried, tried being good, tried being religious. But God, you know my heart, and you know that I'm a sinner. And I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for me, and that you're alive today. So Jesus, come into my heart, into my life. I ask by faith you forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sin. And from this day forward, I'll walk with Christ. Father, I pray for those who have trusted Christ for the very first time today. And I pray for believers in this room also who've been renewed in the commitment to Christ, the realization of just how much you love us. We praise you, God, that you brought us to you. Thank you for that day that we said yes to Jesus. But even so, God, if you find flaw in our walk with Christ, if there's sin in our lives, God, show us that, that we might confess it and be clean to walk with Jesus. When we leave this place, may we be different because of Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.